0: Welcome back to another episode of Auntie Please, where we are everything you want to be, nothing you want us to be, and so much more. I'm Shaya, and with me is...
1: Lama! Today, we got the chance to chat to the gorgeous Devika. She's a civil engineer with a passion for mental health and poetry, and honestly, just having the courage to express yourself courageously and
0: authentically, which I just adore and we spoke about a few different topics which included um, chronic illness, mental health, and disability um, and how chronic illness and um, disability as well can be presented in a variety of ways and it may not always be visible to others, making it harder to seek medical help receive a diagnosis and getting that validation from medical professionals and others and also just in general to be taken seriously and also in being a woman of color, and also how she wasn't taken seriously mostly surprisingly because of her age, and how interestingly she was taken more seriously by white doctors rather than doctors with um, South Asian backgrounds.
1: Yeah, that was that was quite a surprise to me as well. So, yeah. we also spoke about poetry and using that as a means of expression and making sense of things and how it's an outlet to unpack a lot of our personal assumptions and biases and do internal work in a sort of simple way. Dev also talks about how she got involved with spoken word poetry, which is a very, like, I don't know what the word, interesting, fun... Um, cool story and i personally also loved hearing her perform her own work on the pod how freaking cool is that so you guys will just have to keep listening along for that
0: to hear we're not going to tell you when at which minute (laughs) but it's there (laughs) and lastly we spoke about decolonizing our minds and what that means and what it actually looks like and how more often than not we think that that means blaming white people blaming our colonizers but really it's about looking internally and doing the work ourselves and like self-healing um and also discussing the after effects of colonization like colorism and um for example and what the after effects look like in various countries across various countries and cultures and how we should all be mindful and respectful of that as well
1: yep so without further ado
0: Here we go. Welcome back to Auntie Please, where we are joined by Devika. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello. Finally, I made it.
2: I made it in life. (laughs) She made it.
1: Oh my god, I wish being on this podcast was that much of an honour, but... Yeah. <laughs> oh, honestly,
2: you'll get that, trust me. I'm so honored yeah. right now.
0: <laughs> Early days first. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Okay, so we're going to jump straight into the rapid-fire questions um, before we get Dev to introduce herself. Um, Lama, you want to explain what rapid-fire yeah.
1: is? I'll take it away. So I'm just going to ask you a series of questions questions and you just answer whatever your reflex answer is so don't think too much oh, about it and okay. they're not they're not they're not very difficult so you'll be fine okay all right, all right. let's go <clears throat> so coffee or chai chai ava on toast or vegemite on toast ava on toast <laughs> dim sum or sushi 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 <laughs> what's your favorite aussie slang Fair dinkum. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) I say that purely because my manager said it the other day, and I'm like, this is how I know I work in government.
1: (laughs) I was going to be like, who even says that anymore? But okay. I know, right? right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. How many languages do you speak, and what are they?
2: Oh, gosh. Uh, I speak three languages well four maybe <laughs> i speak hindi english um malayalam and then german i say that because i studied for 10 years but i
1: still don't think i Whoa. can speak it that well oh this is how i feel wow. with mandarin the whole of my schooling <laughs> life and here i am with this sampa yeah. command of the look language. give me
2: one year and i can add sinhalese to that list as well <laughs>
1: Love that! Oh my god, I seriously like need to get in touch with my Sri Lankan roots. Like I'm fine with the Nepali side, but I can't speak Tamil or Sinhalese. So
0: (laughs) yeah, I same. I'm a failure to my people. (laughs) It's fine. I'll live. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, would you rather never
1: get angry or never be envious? Never be angry. Oh okay mm. that's that mm. we've always had never be envious this is the first never yeah be
2: angry. I know um, I think it's healthy to be envious to be honest oh. I mean so it's always anger but
0: <laughs> to like keep you like competitive or like to yeah. keep you like going okay. yeah it's yeah. always
2: like if you're in a relationship you need to get a jealous here and there to like be like no I, st- I still gotta ch- keep up the chase <laughs>
0: Oh my God! I honestly, like- honestly, that's me kind of. <laughs> if I'm being real with myself, I feel like it depends
1: on how those emotions manifest person to person. Like I think that for me, true. my anger is a lot more manageable than me when I'm envious and jealous. And so, like, I prefer right. to be angry rather than envious. Because me, envious is like bad. Because mm. I'm already such a competitive person. So like. Ah. <gasps> Oh. That makes
2: sense. Yeah. See, when I get angry, I go inwards oh. and I go quiet, Ooh. right? Which is detrimental. Yeah, Ooh. yeah,
1: so, yeah.
2: Whereas when I'm envious, I'm like, "Who's that bitch?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is the energy that
0: I relate to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. What, I like I yeah. like being envious because for me, it's like I always think that everyone else is like, like you ain't shit, you know. <laughs> So it's easier mm. for me to be envious, but for right. when I'm angry, it sometimes I feel like I can't even control myself, and then I say mm. things that I regret or I do things that I'll regret. Yep. Um, yep. But if I'm envious, I'll just be like, "Well, she ain't shit anyway, he ain't shit anyway," and then it's mm. just like, and then I move on.
2: Interesting.
1: <laughs> this is very interesting. Yeah. Um, three things you would bring with you during an apocalypse.
2: Oh, jeez, girl. A book. Um, a bottle of water. <laughs>
0: Just one bottle. Just a bottle. <laughs> this is
2: the worst A bottle. <laughs> Look, okay, I have this thing with apocalypses. Like, I'm not out here to be living the rest of my life in this yeah. shitty, like, quality of life. Like, I'm happy to just live it for a couple days and then die.
1: Like, it's all yeah. right.
2: If it, that's, It's just, you know, we're all going to be extinct one day. Don't fight it too
1: hard. <laughs> this is me. I'm just like, do you know what? I feel like the only time I would consider fighting if it was like a zombie apocalypse just because i enjoyed the thrill of it but oh if, yeah. The game, yeah if it was a natural fun. disaster i'm like just take me let's go i'm it's yeah. fine it's fine yeah <laughs>
2: it's okay the earth has run its course yeah <laughs> all right. it's all right
1: <laughs> it's fine let me be fertilizer for the soil or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, would you rather be a leader of a cult or a member of a cult
2: Oh, leader of a cult. Oh, my God. I already have ideas. I've got the organized
0: org structure going. <laughs> She's got it all down, guys. What the
1: hell? Now I'm very curious of what this cult structure is going to be yeah, like. I
0: feel like I joined, though. I honestly think I, I would
1: join. I joined. If yeah.
0: they've started a cult, I'd I'd like, happily follow. It. First of um, all.
1: Yeah. Here for Look.
2: it. <laughs> uh, my boyfriend's going to hate me for saying this, but we wanted to start a sex cult. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> But can I just say, like my is, it's like okay, we take it away from the physical mm-hmm. aspect and have like energy okay. sex, have like out of worldly mm-hmm. sex. You know I
0: kinda, <laughs> I kinda I kinda feel that, yeah. Like we meditate and then oh. have Oh. Oh, okay. It's like a next level like This is yeah. like next yeah. level yeah. consciousness exactly. type thing. It's like it's very spiritual. Yes. It's very like yeah enlightening kind of a I'm yeah. into it. I feel that exactly it. I'm into it. I'm into it. That
1: Turak the turac population <laughs> will eat it see, up. I would.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, female orgasm rates will S- sky. Uh, I
0: trust I'm the orgasm gap. <laughs> love it.
1: Oh, does falling in love at first sight exist? No. Oh, The first no, we've gotten. to. I love it. <laughs> um.
2: <laughs> I think what people call love at first sight is like you fall in love with the idea of the person because you don't know enough about them, Ooh. right? Mm-hmm. And it's true that some people get it right and ultimately do actually fall in love, but the that first thing that you feel, that's not... I wouldn't say it's love. It's probably more like affection or admiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the best advice you've ever received?
2: Um... Be the woman you always needed as a girl. Oh,
1: that's cute. I like that. I like that. I love that, yeah. Would you rather know the uncomfortable truth of the world or believe in a comfortable lie? Oh,
2: this is like my life story. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) I'd rather know the uncomfortable truth. (laughs) Yeah. i be sad and depressed. (laughs) (laughs) But then when I gain happiness, I know it's genuine, so it's Okay.
0: Mm. True, mm. yeah, okay. Now we're gonna get into the real, more serious questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. But first of all, introduce yourself to our listeners who are you? Where in the world are you currently at right now? What's your educational background? What are your interests in? What are you passionate about? Everything still cool. So, my name's Devika, some people call
2: me Dev. Um, I grew up in Brisbane, I'm from India, grew up in Brisbane, currently living in Melbourne. Um, I am a civil engineer, Um, Mm. I also work as a youth mental health advisor, Um, my interests are um, poetry, art, reading, Uh, I used to model for a little bit, Um, and
0: anything mental health really, yeah. We love a woman in STEM as well.
2: Yeah, a woman of color in STEM. In STEM, yeah, for
1: sure. sure. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a summary. I I've known Dev for like uh, how many years or so? I don't know. Like maybe I have three. No idea. on and off. Three used, years. Yeah. Yeah, three. We used yeah. to be in this little thing called Isaac together, and then mm-hmm. and then we both left, and we still kind of stayed in touch. So it's very nice to have her on the podcast, but. Let's just start, I guess, somewhere, because there's so many things we can talk about. But throughout our time kind of knowing each other, on and off, you've kind of mentioned your struggle towards um, getting to know your chronic illness, getting your, like, illness taken seriously, and, like, gotten a proper diagnosis, you know, and let alone, like, a clear one as well. So can you tell yeah. us about that experience? Oh,
2: okay. It started pretty young. It actually started at 13? when I was in year eight, um, I had this thing at the time, like I'll explain it to you without the scientific background, just to like as a 13-year-old, <laughs> there were times where I'd go into school and then I'd start seeing s- like patches in my eye and over mm. the course of an hour, I would be 80% blind. I'd be 80% mm. blind and oh my God. and then half an hour after the blindness starts, um my i would get this intense like shooting pain in my head like between my eyes right and the pain was so bad it would make me throw up um and mm. it was so bad like it was a proper migraine and i couldn't like looking look at lights any sort of sound would make me like it, it hurt like i was just really sensitive to everything like sound taste smell and yeah it's all my senses were yeah. just gone And I was getting this pretty much once a week, right, for a whole year. And, yeah, it was scary. I thought I was going blind and there was something wrong with my eyes. I went to a lot of optometrists. They said, your eyes are absolutely fine. And the thing is, they'd always be like, well, come back when your eyes are not okay. And I'm like, when my eyes are not okay, I'm throwing up and I can't leave the house. (laughs) Um and I would go to like I think I went to like 3 or 4 different GPs and um the GPs would always just be like oh it's just a headache and I'm like well explain the eye thing and they'd just be like oh you're just looking you're just on your phone too much like kids these days and I was like okay all right fine and then my parents were like stop going on your phone stop reading books and like I was not allowed to do any of that and it was just still kept happening and um no GP would believe me um Until finally, like, I did my own research and found out I actually had ocular migraine, which is a migraine that affects your sight. Um, And some people get, like, auras and they see colors. Other people just go blind. Um, And so I had this thing and I finally, like, you know, went to a GP and this GP was just like, Oh, it's not that. Like young kids don't get migraines; it's not a thing. And then, like, I showed, like, I had printed out all the information. I showed it to her, and she, like, literally in front of me, looked it up on Google and was like, "Oh, yeah, I think you have this thing." And I was like, "Yeah, no (laughs) shit, I know."
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's like.
2: Look, t- like, I had done my research and I knew there wasn't a lot I could do about it, like in terms of medication and stuff. But it's just you need a doctor to tell you because you need that validation, right? Otherwise, you're just walking around thinking mm. you're doing something wrong. Um, And so yeah. that was the first time it was just like I my, I guess my m- physical health was just like invalidated all the time. And then the second time, and this is probably the most frustrating because I was too young to understand it at the time. And around 16... I started getting really bad pains in my like fingers and my knuckles would get locked all the time. Like if I was like riding a bike and stuff, like they would just lock in place. And I was just like, this is not normal. Um, Went to a doctor Mm. and the doctor was like, look, that sounds like arthritis, but you're too young. And I was like, yeah, but my dad has arthritis and you know, I could have it. And they're just like, nah, you're too young. Mm. And then I'd have like back pains and stuff. And so every time I went to the GP, they'd just give me painkillers and say that it was my period. And I was like, but I'm not on my period. And they're just like, oh, you're just having irregular <laughs> yeah. periods. Are you eating okay? And it was predominantly um, male doctors, I noticed, that would tell blame it on yeah. the period thing. Um, and female doctors would generally just be like, put it on the age, and they'd just be like, you're too young to have arthritis. And I'm um, and – okay, this is controversial opinion, but I had – I actually got taken more serious, um, seriously by white doctors. Um, doctors that were mm. people of color almost treated my parents as the patient and not me. They would talk to my p- parents and mm. not me, and they would just be like, "She's fine. She just needs to, you know, eat better, exercise, and drink more water. Go- yeah, stick more, drink more water, <laughs> and stop going on her phone all the time, and you know, and going out mm. and stuff like that." And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> um and what two finally two years ago i went to a rheumatologist who actually diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis (laughs) and he was like i don't understand how you lived with pain for so long because it's kind of (laughs) bad um and i was prescribed like codeine literally yeah because the pain was that bad um yeah so it's been a journey (laughs)
0: When did you officially get diagnosed with rheumatoid rheumatoid? Rheumatoid arthritis? was about yeah. two years ago, okay, and with the ocular migraine, how old were you then?
2: Um, it basically went away after five years, like okay. it slowed down. I still get it like maybe twice or three times a year. Mm-hmm. I get it here and there, um but I know how to like manage it, which is like manage my stress and also mm-hmm. water two things,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Mm. and does like does that type of arthritis like how does it affect your day-to-day life like does it still um does it have an effect on the type of like exercise and movement you can do um or you just kind of fine with anything and it just depends on how you manage your symptoms and how you're feeling at that time um yeah
2: so with rheumatoid it's an autoimmune disorder so there's two types of arthritis Mm. there's like osteoarthritis and there's autoimmune so autoimmune is like stuff like Crohn's disease, celiac disease, it all comes under the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't necessarily have to do with joints. It's to do with your white blood cells basically being on overdrive, right? So because of that, it has like, it affects, you know, um, so it's mainly my joints, my knuckles really, but it has weird like things. So like it'll, the pain only comes around in the morning Mm. when I wake up. Right mm. so if I like keep it still for too long um it comes on in the morning and it's manageable the pain is manageable but the thing is if I don't take a painkiller immediately it affects my mood quite severely mm. cuz um chronic pain can cause chronic fatigue mm. so that's probably the biggest challenge for me um the chronic fatigue um and in terms of like daily life like I literally went grocery shopping this morning and I couldn't carry like the bags and like I can't use a normal shopping bag so I have to use a shoulder bag Mm. because anything I carry in my knuckles like my knuckles will lock after like ten minutes Mm. um oh yeah yeah so stuff or like writing with a pen I used to love like I write a lot I used to like use a pen now I have to type more um uh yeah I can't I I had this dream of playing the ukulele one day and I realized I can't do that anymore (laughs) Um, Yeah, so things like that. But I would say they're all quite insignificant. It's just the chronic fatigue because it's a lot more subtle.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's something that people typically like don't see or... Exactly, and it can just come off as laziness a lot of the time. Um, We'll get more into that in a bit. But before Mm -hmm. that, I wanted to like ask about... Because you were saying how it was interesting that there were more the the white doctors which were taking you more seriously compared to colored doctors. Yeah. Um I guess my question is okay, but also were the colored doctors like typically like of Indian background or like was it like mixed or It was mixed. It was predominantly South Asian and Middle Eastern doctors. Okay. Yeah. Just Only because, like, I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, well, if they're more, like, South Asian, could it be, I mean, there's definitely, like, a cultural aspect and, like, you were saying you're talking more to the parents and, like, you know, in general, like, you, you, like, as as kids, like, we always just get dismissed and, like, overlooked, Mm -hmm. Um, but also this sense of, like, as a South Asian adult that you're indirectly, like, yes, you're this kid's doctor, but you're also indirectly in some kind of capacity, playing the role of like a parent in a way, and like yeah, need to like oh, like you're actually fine, like don't worry about it, like because it's so because they're normal. trying to please
2: the parents, yeah, yeah, and speak by their rules, and you know. It's, like, in our culture and, like, in South Asian culture, there's is this thing of, like, we don't like Western medicine and it's yeah. all, of, you know, why are you putting chemicals in your body? Just <laughs> oh, do some yoga and get over
0: it. <laughs> uh, I feel like my parents still say that till today. Like, unnecessary chemicals, like, stop. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just interesting to see that and, like, how that dynamic plays out, especially as mm. a health professional, as a medical professional. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah interesting mm. but anyway next question I guess also like somewhat related like I wanted to discuss how um the struggle of like people of color and like particularly women of color struggle to be taken seriously medically speaking um because yeah. I feel like it's quite common like I remember hearing your story like at one of our girls for girls talks and yeah but yours wasn't the first story that I've heard. I've heard, like, many other women of colour who have struggled with some kind of medical condition and they were never taken seriously. And it takes a lot of, like, fighting and effort just to be heard and just to get that validation from a doctor and to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us more about that and more about, like... um, I guess you've already touched on it a little bit, but, like, a little bit more on, like, how you've had to fight for yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think... I would say my experiences weren't necessarily because of my gender, mm-hmm. but I have heard that a lot. I would say for me, it was it was because of my gender sometimes, but predominantly it was because of my age. Mm. Um, and but I think a lot. I've heard the same stories. I've heard about like friends who've had really severe terminal illnesses. Actually, mm. who it's just been ignored, and I have. I have this like working theory about it and it's that like a lot of females um, when we struggle with something whether it be physically or mentally we f- almost feel like we have to fight it before we can ask for help for it right mm. and it's almost like can I fix it myself first yeah. and when you go for a while without seeking help and then you go to a doctor or a GP and they ask you how long have you had this and you say like two years they immediately just dismiss you because they think you're can't be think that you're bad. Just, yeah, it's not that bad because you dealt with it for two years, yeah. so you're right, right? Um, but the way chronic pain, like if you look into chronic pain, it's actually really interesting, the research out there, because your body is so adaptable mm. that if you have chronic pain or any sort of pain for a long period of time, your your mind-body connection is just severed, mm. right? So you're still dealing with the pain, but mentally it's having all these other effects that you won't really notice, Um yeah, so I think that's one theory that I have as to why, like, women don't get taken seriously as much by doctors. Mm. And I think we tend to also downplay our struggles yeah. quite a lot. I've noticed yeah. that. Um, um, Just because you don't want to be seen as, like, you know, the one crying or the one, you know, difficult. complaining all the time. Yeah, It's yeah. been difficult all the time. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah, I feel like as... Even, like, as a little girl and growing up to become an adult, like, th- there would be so many times where I would be in pain and I'd just be like, no, it's fine, yeah. I'm okay. And I will down- I would downplay how I felt because I didn't want to seem weak and because I was like, oh, I don't want to play into the stereotype of, like, yeah, right. people misogynistically yeah. saying that Ooh. women are... You know, weak, and then like it plays into your own internalized misogyny. Yeah. You're just like, no, I don't, want, I don't want to be weak. Whereas you're just like, I'm literally in pain and dying here, yeah. and here I am being like, no, it's fine. And and it's just kind of, it's it's hilarious. Like I'm I'm such a, I'll probably get like, like fire from this from the men in my life. But every time I watch football games, I'm always just like, you guys get like kicked in the shin, and you guys are so ridiculously. Um, <laughs> Expressive about this, I'm like, you don't even know. And I and I and I just because and I always feel that way is because when I put myself in their situation, when I used to play sports or even when I was like a dancer, the amount of pain you put yourself through and you just let yourself deal Mm. with it because Mm -hmm. you don't want to be sook about it. Yeah. And for me I just always feel like pe- like it's it's quite sad that like a lot of women do that and a lot of people expect that from women, especially like within the sort of like older older generations. And it may not be like physical pain. A lot of things are like mental and emotional yeah. where women just constantly deal with this mm. and you know, feel like they're obliged to deal with it, feel like it's their responsibility too. And they only realise that things can be better when they see other people dealing with less and demanding better for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of hope that, like, that changes over time. Yeah.
0: It's a sad thing, but it also kind of highlights how strong and resilient that we are, but also it's not sustainable and it's not healthy and mm, it's not exactly. ideal. Yeah. Um, But...
1: yeah yeah Yeah. um so I watched and I think Shia also watched Mm -hmm. the interview that you did on mental health and disability Mm. um so I wanted to talk about that because I think it like still in line with what we're talking about now what do you think people commonly think about when they hear the word disability and versus what it actually looks like um to you and because a lot of people for example like if you have a chronic condition people don't see that as a disability it's like one of the invisible ones yeah. because it's not visible when you see the person right in front of you and I feel like that gets overlooked a lot um but yeah what what do you think people like think about are they like misconceptions
2: yeah no definitely um I mean like my biggest example I can give you is like if you go to like a Woolies car park and you see a disabled sign, it's a person in a wheelchair, right? And Mm. so it's automatically, Mm -hmm. like, in our head, that's what we associate with disability, a person in a wheelchair, a person with some sort of, like, visible disability. And so most able-bodied people usually think of it as something they can see, Mm. and so they don't Mm. validate the invisible um, illnesses. It gets a bit uh, quite... Confusing when you discuss um, people with disabilities and the way they see disability, right? Because now the story yeah. is completely flipped. Because I can I can stand here and say, okay, I have mental illness, so I'm disabled. But another person with the same diagnosis as me could be like, I'm not actually disabled mm. because some for some people it's empowering mm. to have that label. For other people, it's not. Um. And that, you know, you can, it could be just about literally the meaning of disability. It means what? You're not able to do what other people can't do. That's not true. They're just differently abled. But it's Mm. quite, it really is just up to the person when it comes to like the mental health side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Chronic pain is another thing. A lot of people, for them, it's like they would not count it as um, a disability, but some people do. And it's really, really just up to them. Um, and it's a – that some people hide from that disabil- disability label, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Because as soon as you're like, I don't want to use that because it puts me down, it means now you can't claim it to adjust your life around it. Yeah. And make whatever it is, like workplace adjustments to meet your needs, to work better, so your disability doesn't affect your work. So it is a double-edged sword in that sort of way because in the system that we're in, you need to be labelled as a person with disability to get um, any adjustments
0: in work, uni, whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah. I want to ask about for those who would identify as disabled um, with an invisible illness or like disease, what is that like to not get that validation or to not get that um affirmation from other people and, you know, and get things like, oh, you're just lazy or, yeah. like, you're just, like, not in the mood or whatever, you're just having a bad day or something. Because, so, so I did my thesis, I did my psych thesis on MS, which is, like, multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, mm-hmm. like, it can present visibly, um, you know, like if you have a cane, if you need assistance with walking and stuff or, but sometimes you can have like invisible symptoms, right? And yeah. people can't see. And in my survey, like a lot of people mentioned that it was really hard when people just didn't understand what it was like to have MS and not be able to visibly see it and Mm -hmm. how um, painful it is and how much they struggle with not getting that validation, that affirmation and stuff. And even from, like, doctors as well, when, you know, before, prior to getting, like, a diagnosis, um, they'd have to, like, really fight and be like, something is wrong with me, please hear me, please see me. Yeah, tell us a bit about that.
2: Oh, that's... (sighs) so true it's just it's such a vicious cycle as well because as soon as the people outside stop validating it and stop um you know think that you don't deserve um any adjustments or any sympathy or empathy Mm -hmm. because you know it's not visible um you then invalidate yourself, you doubt your own illness, Mm. um, you blame yourself and then it just ruins your mental health and then it, you know, it can affect your illness and it just turns into this cycle. Mm. Um, but I think if, like, I think the, a really good example is, um, with like depression and people who, um, self-harm, one of the reasons people self-harm is because they need to make their illness more tangible. Mm. right and so it's it's one of many reasons but that's you know it's you're in so much emotional pain and when you can't physically see that pain you in your head it doesn't make sense you're like this is stupid i need an actual reason to be sad now
0: like a physical aspect
2: yeah And so, and that could be self-harm, that could be um, drug abuse. It can come Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. Um, And, you know, I like one really good example is like back when I was in the pits of my severe depression, um, I would binge drink,
0: Mm.
2: right? And I would binge drink and then like, obviously I'd get blackout drunk and, you know, I'd go and whatever it is, hook up with a random person, go pass out, you know? The next day when I just felt shitty about it, I was like, okay, that's okay to feel shitty about. I can have a shitty day now. Yeah. Right. And like, it's it's such a vicious cycle. It's such a vicious cycle. And like, um, every time I talked about my depression in any way, or even my chronic pain now, it's always like, because people don't, people like to relate, right? People like mm. to... As soon as you say something, they like to, the way that they sympathize with you, they relate it to your their life. So as soon as I'm like, I'm in pain right now, or like my leg hurts, whatever it is, that person just goes, oh, like take a Panadol. And I'm, I'd be mm. like, no, I have chronic pain, so that's not really going to do a lot. Yeah. they will just be like, oh, well, sleep it off. Or mm. like they really don't know what to say because that's the extent of their experience. Yeah, And I think we've, we've really got to step out of that and just understand that you can't always understand.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's so natural for us to try to mix. For us, I think it's also more about like making sense of it. And Mm -hmm. when you struggle with that, it's like your brain just can't compute. You can't comprehend. And so, and that can, you know, really come off as like someone who's just being insensitive, for example. Yeah. Um, Yeah. When, yeah, like you said, you know, it's not always about having to make sense or like having to understand it, but at least acknowledging and validating and being like, okay, I still see you and, like, you know, um, providing some comfort. But Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think you really, like, hit it on the nail with a lot of things. Like, first of all, when, like... When, you, when you're in that, like, you know, severe position mentally, you need to, like, externalize your symptoms because you're just like, everything is internal. No one else can see what's going on except me. And you just, it's it's a cry for help. It's a cry for, like, please take me seriously if these, like, physical things are tangible to you and enough for you to process to realize I need help or I just need someone to listen and hold that space for me. And then also just, um, lost my train of thought? this happens a lot that's all right i <laughs> i get it back eventually that, yeah um but yeah no i i really like that because i think when i was like maybe 13 no 14 14 i i think i i i never went to a doctor but i think i had a like a severe bout of like a, i probably had like a depressive episode mm-hmm. and i was like going through it and and I think at that age, you don't even know, you, you never... The conversations around mental health are not as um, out there and not as... You didn't have it as often as you do nowadays. Yeah. And as a kid, that at that age, you like, I don't even understand why I feel this way. I'm literally 14. What is there to be mm. upset and in the pits of despair about? I don't know. And for me, it was like... And I think I, I like there was so much like internal emotional pain. I, I felt like I need to externalize this. Like I need to actually let it out in some way. And for me, it was like self-harming. And I remember like my brother saw my scars a couple of days later and was like, what is this? What's happening? Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, that was a, someone that realized what was going on. But I was just like, oh my God, yeah. I know what, I, I remember this. This <laughs> I remember this very well. So, so yeah, um, I really like that. Sorry, is
0: that... um Yeah, I know. Oh. I'm just like, just when I'm about to ask the next question, my ice cream man is like, like, in my neighborhood, like, ice cream. Uh, bike, I love that. Cream, that's so yeah. wholesome. It's a, it's a thing here. And, yeah. I'm just gonna try and quickly ask the question so it's easy mm-hmm. when I edit this out. Okay. Um, okay, let's also discuss the sigma that's attached to um, the language that we use and, like, how, you know, with using words like, you know, disability and stuff and how reframing mm-hmm. the language and the meaning can help overcome the stigma that's attached to it.
2: Oh, for sure. It's I honestly actually learned most of what I know when I started at Origin because I was like low-key stigmatizing myself. Yeah. Um Explain <laughs> um, what Origin is for. <laughs> um context. Origin is a youth mental health research center in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um they focus predominantly on youth Um, mental health, and their focus is um, on prevention over treatment. So they really do a lot of research on, like, very young kids, um, focusing on what really gets you there. And, you know, if you can stop it earlier on, it's a lot easier to treat. Mm. Um, So, like, so one of the first things I learned at Origin was just when I was in the council, when I was doing any, like, press conferences or anything, we would never say mentally ill. Mm. Um, We would say a person with mental ill health
0: yeah because person when you face. say mentally
2: ill you're just defining their entire mental state mm. right we don't we don't do that with physical health so you don't need to do that with mental health yeah um so we say mental ill health because if you think about it in this day and age no one has perfect health yeah so you just you've just got ill health for the moment we not you're not being defined by it basically so that's the intention behind that um, Second thing I learned quite early on is you would like – I used to quite often say like, oh, at this age I suffered from depression or I suffered from this. And I suppose for me to define that for myself, it's okay. But when someone – if I'm talking about someone else and going, this person suffers from depression, you shouldn't use the word suffer because you're placing a judgment on their experience. Mm. You don't – you can Mm. live an absolutely happy life with depression. Mm. So um, that's another thing that I've like really am mindful of these days. Um, another thing would be when you're saying, when you're comparing like someone with a disability and someone without a disability, you would never call the person without the disability a normal person. Mm. I hear that a lot, like a person mm-hmm. with disability and then the normal person. Yeah. <laughs> We're not normal. Yeah. No yeah. one's normal. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I generally like to say able-bodied. There's different things you can use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so... Another thing actually I've just remembered is this is a bit of a new one that I've just uh, learned about I, and I don't, it's not as widely used, but when you say a disabled person, you, instead of saying a disabled person, you should rather say person with a disability. Yeah, Because again, it's like mm. defining the whole person. Um, yeah. But that's a bit of a grey zone because I know some people really don't mind it. Um, and yeah. just, yeah, it just... And then there's just some that's just quite. I think I feel like is common sense. Like I hear a lot of people say, like, uh oh, she she was um quite severely depressed. She had to be admitted into the institution." I'm like, hmm. "Who's that
1: institution?" Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. I'm always like, "What institution? The institution? Where is this place?" Like,
2: yeah, yeah, or like, um, yeah, they just say like the mental mental institution. I've heard, yeah, that's what usually oh, that's I'm Malaysians sorry. say that so yeah. freaking much like it's just oh. and I but I think in Australia they've done a really good job because a lot of them they call like either rehab centers mm. or um mental health clinics and um like the language is about recovery rather mm. than um your illness
0: yeah yeah and that's one thing like we never do that here. Like you know, we don't do that in Malaysia. And that's a that's the thing that I learned um in Melbourne as well. Was at uni like whenever we were doing, um, and I'm sure Lama would have had to do the same thing because like we both did psych as well. At, but it was like whenever we did like assignments and stuff, you'd it was always person first, then mm. whatever their mental health um was. Yeah, you know, it's like person with depression, person with Yuck. schizophrenia, because yeah. like you were saying, because you. A person like all of us, like we are more than what our troubles are. We are more than um whatever physical or mental illness that we have. Yeah. And like having schizophrenia doesn't entirely define every single thing about you. You exactly. are a person who enjoys food, reading, going on hikes, like whatever it is. Like there's so much more about you. So um and it's really empowering to see how language can really play a part and, like, how we reframe yeah. our language and the words that we use, especially in terms of, like, stigma as well because, yeah, you know, we want to be more exclusive. We want to be more... Um, did I say exclusive? I meant inclusive. Inclusive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what did I say? <laughs> um, we want to be more inclusive um and um I guess... Not friendly. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, we want to be more it's like positive like approachable uh, yeah more well compassionate uh, like, I don't mm. Wait, what, yes. what, what do you say there? sorry <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't hear what you said compassionate Compass- yeah compassionate yeah 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 um no i think yeah.
2: i think the biggest like thing for me is like in when you're using um when you're using language a lot more mindfully the biggest difference it makes is with children mm. when you use that sort of language yes. around children because yes. i think the thing is, it'll help them recognize if they're struggling a lot easier because one of the reasons I didn't think I had depression for five years, even though I was severely depressed, was because I thought a depressed person doesn't get out of bed and just is, like, in bed and cries 24-7. Yeah. But that's not what depression is, right? Mm. But if we change that and we change mm-hmm. the language around that, kids and kids are exposed to it, they will learn to see
1: the signs much early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I think for me, language plays such an important role in our lives and the mm-hmm. way, in the way that we like subconsciously think about things as well. And I feel like people that always um, dismiss how important changing the way we speak about things is I don't realize the subconscious effects of um, the way we relate to things. And yeah, I I think I re I love learning new ways to talk about things and like better ways to talk about things as well. And I love and I think yeah, it's so right. Like when we were in uni it was always like person with this, person with that. Because like when you go through it you realize that you it's not meant to consume your whole being, you yeah. know? And um yeah. So I really like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm always here to summarize the points. I <laughs> love
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Auntie Please. This is part two of our Chitty Chats interview with Dev, where we talk about art and art as a means of expression. Lama, take it away.
1: Yes. Okay, so I know you've done heaps of spoken word poetry before. Can you tell us about how you got involved in this and kind of how, yeah, how did you start and how did you discover mm-hmm. it? Okay, it's
2: actually a bit of a crazy story and like every time I think about it, I just can't believe that it happened. But um basically about how long ago? 2 years ago, I was very severely depressed and for the first time it was just bad and I actually but I actually accepted help and um I was hospitalized. Um and I was put into a mental health clinic for a while and I would just stay there and um I, there was a medical procedure that I went through because I had such severe depression. I was pretty much like a zombie, um, that, and I also have, um, treatment resistant depression. So antidepressants Mm. basically just don't work on me. Um, none of the medications work on me. So there was just, I kind of just ran out of options and I did this thing called EMDR, Mm. commonly known as shock therapy. Yeah. wait um, no not EMDR sorry I TMS get tum- ECT oh ECT Okay. I'm, I'm doing EMDR right now that's why I got confused okay. with the two but ECT also known <laughs> as shock therapy mm-hmm. too many acronyms in psych um, yeah so I did ECT and I don't know like you guys are from psych do you guys know what ECT is?
0: um I, I thought you were gonna say TMS transcranial magnetic I also did that TMS. okay
2: <laughs> I've done them all <laughs> <laughs> um no, so ECT is electrocompulsive therapy. Okay. Yeah. Um so y- yep. you they give yep. you ketamine and then they give you basically give you seizures mm-hmm. in your brain. Yep. Um, um so I did that and basically what it did was made me quite brain dead. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it made me a zombie and I was I my health improved, but my cognition wasn't there, um, my physical health wasn't there, I wasn't, you know, like Some people would say I wasn't all there. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I would just tune out of life quite a lot. Um, So, yeah, it wasn't really too good. But right after that, I was – I left – I got out um, as an outpatient. And I think something just clicked in my head, right? Because I had had severe depression for so long. For once, I was just feeling nothing. Like, I was just absolutely numb. And – It was a bit of a, like, I had reached a point in my life where I was like, look, I have run through all my options. I have literally nothing to lose right now. Like, Mm. you know, I have no reason. Like, I basically kind of looked, because this whole time I was looking outwards and I was looking at the world and I'm like, this everything's so messed up. And now I just looked inwards and I was just like, I have literally no excuse to just do things that I want to do. Like The mm. first thing that comes into my mind, I can just do it now because I have literally nothing to lose. And if I mm. don't do it, I don't get to blame anyone other than me. Mm. And so that was kind of the mindset that I was in. Um, anyway, so at this point I had been – I used to journal a lot and then I started wrote, writing poetry at around 16. So I'd written for a while, but it was purely for me. No one knew about it. Um, I thought I was pretty shit at it. Um, and one day – I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw there was, like, an open mic night um, near the city in Brisbane. um, And it was run by this um, NGO called Voices of Colour. And I was like, okay, this sounds cool. It's an open mic night. Anyone can just come in and just perform. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. Because, you know, like, my first thought was this is cool, so I should go. Like, there was just no – filtering of thoughts anymore or actions I was just doing what my mind yeah. wanted to do and I was like I'll go to this thing I went to this thing um, and you know the guys were really nice and they were like they kind of convinced me to put my name down I put my name down but I was like I'll put it last and then I'll just like leave quickly <laughs> like halfway through I'll just leave <laughs> um but these guys actually read the list in reverse order and I was oh my up god. first
1: <laughs> oh my god
2: and i died i was like fuck i've never done this before i have like people don't even know i write poetry right yeah and they call my name out and in my head all i'm thinking is i don't know anyone here no one knows me it's okay i could say the most stupidest shit and just walk out of here and i'll be okay yeah and so um it's crazy how when you're at like the like lowest point in your life you just don't give a shit (laughs)
1: Um, oh <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i went off on stage and i performed my first um piece which was um called treated fairly and the whole piece was about my experience with colorism mm. and mm. i perf- i literally was like now i look back at it and i'm like it was a shitty performance because i had it on my phone i was like look staring at my phone i was not making eye contact so in terms of performance it was really shitty but um People really enjoyed the writing, and um, that's basically how I started. And then afterwards, like I was talking to the organisers, and they were like, "You should join us." Um, mm. and I was like, "Oh, this is crazy." And then the same night, a random person approached me. Um, her name's Grace. She's a uh, playwright in Brisbane, um, and she was like, mm-hmm. "I'm writing a theatre production on colorism. Would you like to join?" I was like. I've never done this before. This is my first time. Yeah. No, I didn't tell her. There's no way I was going to tell her that on that day. I was, I was like, yeah, okay, tell me about it. I was, <laughs> um, yeah, and like from there, everything just skyrocketed. I started working for Voices of Colour. I started working for Skin Deep Productions, Um, mm-hmm. writing plays and mm-hmm. performing
1: in plays. Amazing. That is That's really, really cool. I love that when it comes to art and expression through art in whatever form that is, it's always like experiences that you have experienced and relate to the most are the ones that are, that always get translated across the best exactly. because yeah, you just, you just have so much to say about it. And there's just so much truth in what your experience is. And I think that really just shows in the art that you produce, if it's done like genuinely mm-hmm. and sincerely. And
2: you have to do it with so much courage and you, with art, it can't be filtered, right? Yeah. It's art if it's truth-telling. And, like, for me, from day one, it was truth-telling, right? Because I just didn't give a fuck. And I it really, really helped in terms of, like,
0: improving my mental health. Like, it mm-hmm. really helped. Love that. Um, yeah, so just, like, to continue on from, like, uh, colorism and stuff... Um, Let's touch a bit on decolonizing our minds, because I feel like that's something that we all love to do. I'm personally still, I feel like in general, like, we're all still kind of doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But let's give us a quick explanation of what decolonizing our minds mean, um, and like, with our identities, and like, who we are, and our culture, um, and also about why we should be doing it. Yeah. So I guess the
2: literal meaning of it is just basically get rid of all the prejudices, all the assumptions, generalizations that has been caused by colonization, which makes it sound really like simple, um, but it's actually a lot more intricate and subtle than that. Um, mm-hmm. And really complex. Um, Cause I think, when the word decolonize first came in, right, and people started using it, it was like, great, but I have some qualms with it, right, in the way that it's used these days, because I think a lot of people of color, this is going to be a very controversial, (laughs) use decolonizing as like, synonymous with blaming white people, Mm. which is, which it's not, Mm. it's really not. not. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's internal work. Yeah, it's internal work. It's, Fixing yourself first before you try and fix others. Mm. Um, so that's just my personal opinion on the the how the word has transformed now. Yeah. Um into what it is. But for me it's all about personal accountability. Yeah. Um and all your internal prejudices, getting rid of it. It's like questioning every single assumption you have and figuring out what the source of it is. Um mm-hmm. and a lot of the times, you know, when it comes to um things related to race and culture it does come down to colonization
0: yeah mm-hmm. yep. and like you're saying like yeah. you know why like why should we waste more time blaming others and like yeah like it's already happened like it's too late you know like damage has been done but like what can we do with um ourselves and like you said how can we do that self-healing or that realizing that reflecting and yeah decolonizing ourselves first and then um and then what's the word english is hard um and then using ourselves as examples exactly for other people rather than like being like you should do this 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 or exactly. that yeah
2: one of my favorite quotes i found like the other week was just like you're not going to change the world with your opinion you change the world with your example
0: yeah yeah i saw th- yeah i saw that
1: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah no it's like it's like for me personally decolonization was like so important and um it was i so i moved to australia at quite a young age and i was kind of a little bit really focused on being australian mm. <laughs> and getting rid of my indianness mm. um but it wasn't like it was i don't think it was to a detrimental state right up until like i started realizing i was having these like really negative opinions towards Indian people mm-hmm. and India as a country generally because I was just like they're just so corrupt there's just so much like internal racism going on the colorism that I had to deal with I blamed it on Indian people because I dealt with colorism in India like I dealt with it here but mainly in India which is crazy because I'm like you guys look like me I don't- why are you <laughs> um <laughs> So I would just be like, you know, I had a really negative um, opinion of my own country and I sat down and like the start of that decolonization um, process realized colorism didn't exist in our country before colonization, Mm. Um, right? And it's all a byproduct of colonization, um, casteism and all of that. And, you know, that was obviously the first step, right? And But I think a lot of people stop there and they go, okay, colonization has caused everything. But the Mm. thing is, India is an independent country now, and now it's self-perpetuated. And that's the problem. That's where like you can't put it on anyone, right? You can't blame anyone else. You've got to fix it within yourself first. Yeah.
0: And it's so, so ingrained in us. Yeah. It's so ingrained in us, and it keeps getting passed on from generation to generation, and I feel like it's more often than not, it's typically, like, our generation where we're trying to, like, self-heal and, like, break it down and, like, overcome this so we don't pass it on, Um, which is great for us, but, like, it also means that we have to do all the work and, like...
2: Yeah, and then um, it just creates
0: this massive generational...
2: intergenerational gap, right? Yeah. Between us and our parents.
0: Exactly, and then you can't do Mm -hmm. that without having a bit of an identity crisis as well. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So... (laughs) Lama and I are very fond of having identity
1: crisis. Oh my god, it's an it's an everyday identity crisis for me, man. And I feel like the 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 fun and challenging part about that process of like your own personal journey with decolonizing your minds and like just changing your programming is that it's going to be so different for every single mm-hmm. person because, like. Especially now with, like, the way that our families... Like, the world is so intertwined. Like, my... Like, I'm South Asian, yes. But I'm also... Like, my mom's Silonis. And my dad's from India. Mm -hmm. But he's from a Nepalese background. And I'm also Malaysian. And, like, trying to reconcile all these different identities while also being, like, bitch. Like, colonization has had an effect on my dad's programming. Mm -hmm. And, like, the... like racial injustice and hierarchies in malaysia has an effect on my mom's programming and that all funnels down to me as a child and it's just it's just i just it's challenging but it's also really interesting because i think the older you get the more you realize um lots of different things about yourself and you learn to reclaim a lot of things about your identity that you used to push aside when you were younger um And, you know, whether it was trying to assimilate, whether it was trying to feel comfortable, whether it was like, you know, things like code switching. And I still code switch all the fucking time. So code switching, for example, if you guys don't know, is like, for example, I have a Malaysian accent. Like, it's there. It's not disappeared. She's still well and (laughs) truly alive. But it's also like Indian as well at the same time. So when I'm like talking in my like teaching classes, my accent goes (laughs) haywire. I don't know what the heck happens to it half the time. But then, when I'm like, when I am in my like customer service facing job where I'm on the phone a lot with people, like I have to switch my accent to sound really Australian yeah. because I feel like when someone hears me speak English in an accent that isn't familiar to them here being Australia, like I just, I, I can, I don't know why I feel that they already see me as something inferior. And I don't know if that's like my own judgment to myself and. My accents and internal work I have to do, but it's also maybe like an outward thing that happens to me a lot. So I don't. Know, that's like another way that I still code switch and still have a problem sticking to my accent when I am like yeah. in customer service facing jobs. Mm. I think I I've do. Like
0: sorry, sorry go. go on. Go. On.
1: No, no, you go. You go. You go.
2: <laughs> um, i had like um. I think last year was, like, my ultimate, like, evolution of code switching. I was code switching all the time, but, like, this time in a very, like, I was taking control of it, right? So I had friends who were, like, some of them were Indian, some of them not even Indian. I just talked to them in an Indian accent. I don't normally have an Indian accent. <laughs> India and I speak English <laughs> for some reason. It's always in an Indian accent. Like, I physically can't stop it, right? And, or, like, when I talk to my parents in English, yep. I put on an Indian accent. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's not in, a like, a patronizing way. It just feels more comfortable, right? Um, and so, you know, I was, yeah. like, I would talk to mm-hmm. my friend in, like, mm-hmm. a, just a thickest Indian accent. And then I'd, like, turn around and, like, order, like, Maccas in, like, a very Aussie, Bogan accent. And, like, the chick would be, like, so confused. Yeah. <laughs> And like, and I have a lot of friends who do that. And I I've, um, actually have a, um, my boyfriend was actually telling me about this experience that they had where um, there was this um, girl who had heard a friend of theirs speak with the, I think it was an Indian, I think he was doing an Indian accent. It was an Indian accent, but then he could do like a Bogan accent too, like an Aussie Bogan accent. And for her, she was just like, wait, so if you can speak Aussie this whole time, why don't you just choose to? And I was like, you speak and music. I was like, yeah, but that means one is better than the other. <laughs> I'm s- like, yeah. If you really want to speak screaming. English the right way, you should have a British accent. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there is no right way to speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but oh I'm God. sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, sorry. Me, Can you- I just bring it back to the no, decolonization no. thing? Oh
0: <laughs> i
2: had a a, (laughs) mental note in my head for that um i had this okay especially living in australia right decolonization i think is really important because i think it's really good that us as people of color do it but i think it's also understanding how um colonization of other races and other cultures that also affect us which is something that i think gets overlooked quite a lot like for example colonization of australia um because, you know, it stops us from acknowledging our privileges. Um, so that's just a mm, quick yes. note I want to add. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, when you say that, just to elaborate yeah. on that more, are you is what you mean that um like yeah, as a person of color that's non indigenous to Australia, like acknowledging um yeah. basically the atrocities that happen in Australia. Um, when it was colonized. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, And I think, Mm -hmm. obviously, we can't stand here and be like, we know what it's like, but the least we could do is acknowledge our Mm. privileges.
1: Yep. 100%. I always find being in Australia quite... When I first came here, I was very fascinated because when you're in uni and when you're in schools and a lot of places, people are always you know, they always have the welcome to the country and there's always Mm -hmm. the acknowledgement of the traditional peoples. But I just found that I I was just like, so you guys do this and then you also treat them this way and your policies are all framed this way and you don't acknowledge that Australia Day was a really shitty day for... I'm like, what's that? And and until this day, it's still like... It just, I just find it so ridiculous I'm like this is not like this is super tokenistic yeah. and this is really yeah. not how Australia
2: is like the only country that doesn't have you know, a in the Commonwealth that doesn't have a treaty with its First Nations people which is just crazy to me
0: because like look at New Zealand they're doing amazing literally everyone just wants to go to New Zealand now it's <laughs> like why even look at Australia anymore <laughs> exactly. but um yeah I was going to say something but I can't remember now but it's fine um okay next question is um in terms of decolonizing our minds and like poetry um how do the two relate to you um tell us more about this art what it means to you in your creative process um i think for me the way
2: i write poetry is when it comes to social causes specifically it's Always question your assumptions. Always question why you're feeling the way you're feeling, you know, before you concretely identify as them. Um, Like that's what I did in my um, colorism poetry. It was just like I'd have – I'd look at these experiences that I had that made me feel a certain way and then I'd just be like, okay, why am I feeling this certain way? Where is this coming from? And I think – Poetry really helps me in terms of um emotionally navigating that narrative because a lot of the times these are narratives I haven't thought of. I'm creating these like new neural pathways in my head, right? Which is really hard to do. But when you when I bring poetry into it, it's a lot more free-flowing and I feel a lot less resistance with it. Um, because you know, there'll be times where I'd just be like, I would sometimes be like, "Oh, by the end of this, I'm." It's actually my fault that this happened to me, and I
0: can't really blame anyone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is hard to face. Um, I kind of, like, yeah. want to ask you to read a poem for us, but I don't know if you want to do that because we didn't prep for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can. I actually can. Okay. Because it's okay. On Please magazine. do. Um, anyone, anything you want. It doesn't even have to relate to what we're talking about.
2: Okay, how about, like, I'm assuming we're coming towards the end of the episode? So yes. I'll do, like, a little mm-hmm. bit of a happy one, because most of mine aren't <laughs> happy. They're very sad. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, can do. Okay, let me just grab it out.
1: I'm so excited. so excited for this. <laughs> Twinsies. Twins.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like... No, it's all good. No, it's fine. Like, I actually, I love poetry so much, but I just... I wish... Okay, but also, like, I, I never really tried as hard to, like, write poetry. I really wish... I read poetry, like, a fair bit. Not a lot, but, like, a little bit. Um, But I really want to get into writing um, and not necessarily performing, but just, like, writing as an outlet. Because I journal a lot, so I'm already writing a lot. But, like, why not make it mm. more creative and more colourful and more Yeah,
2: and, like, right? you can do poetry as, like, a mindfulness exercise. There's, like, so mm. many ways to do poetry. It doesn't always have to be about the outcome of, like, does it sound good to someone else,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm going to stick to moving my body. As a means of my expression.
0: <laughs> my words don't get across
1: way. <laughs> Even to myself, I'm reading my own and then I'm like, okay, this is shit. Never mind. <laughs> okay, she's ready. She looks right. like she's
2: I think ready. I, f- I think I found it. All right. Okay. It's called The Traveler.
1: Hmm.
2: Don't chain yourself to stagnant friends who don't water the seeds of dreams you planted for yourself. Remain transient. Don't follow blind friends who walk on mass-produced trails with their nose buried in spiritless maps. Remain a wanderer. Travel the minds of people like a backpacker with infinite frequent flyer points. Remain a migrant. Gather their stories like souvenirs, and use the pain to write stories to yourself. So create your own chronicle, and don't tie yourself down to their skewed perception of you. Not everyone can fathom the depths that you carry. It is too heavy and too dark for their weak shoulders and light hearts. Thank you.
1: Oh, oh. snaps! That was so good. <laughs> uh, damn girl. Damn, damn. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. Yeah. That was so... And I. And I. And what I love about poetry is that people always relate to it in their own way, based yeah, on their own experience. Exactly. And that's... Yeah. And I, I love that. Yeah. And I, I God God poetry like poetry because, <laughs> like...
2: It's like, I think a lot of people shove it aside because they're like, oh, it's so fluffy and you're using all these fluffy words and to say nothing. But I yeah. think sometimes, right right bear with me it's good to say nothing because it opens other people's stories right it opens yep. like i could be talking about something totally different to what you guys are thinking about who knows mm-hmm. um, right but it i this is why i really started liking performing because i would perform it and then i would see different expressions and different people and i'd connect with them and i'm like shit like i like i don't know what story you're thinking of when i'm saying this but i feel you
0: yeah yeah it's like everyone else has like their own interpretation of like yeah. what you're saying but it's so mm-hmm. somehow relatable exactly it still connects yeah exactly at and least you're connecting with the feeling the story may be different but yeah. the feeling may be quite similar exactly and i think when yeah. it
2: specifically with voices of color what i loved about it was that you don't have to be the same to connect we mm. really celebrated our differences
1: yeah 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 oh I love that so much. Well, <laughs> finally, I don't know if that was your message, but what is a message that you wish to share with the world?
2: Oh, oh, it's gonna be something really cheesy. <laughs> it's fine. We love we cheese. love cheesy messages. <laughs> These are words to live by. Um, I would say create the courage to. Do what makes you happy and the universe
0: will give you what you need to be happy. Nice. Well. I needed that. (laughs) (laughs) Sis needed that. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I'll try to create that courage. (laughs) Come on, Taya. (laughs) Well, like, look,
2: I I'm like the biggest example of that at like the, my lowest point all I did was I did what my heart was like asking for and I just didn't
1: just everything just happened by itself everything else yeah yeah oh so good so good and I think courage is such a I like there's so many types of feelings that I find unproductive and not courage, I love courage, but like for me like shame (laughs) is one of those feelings that I just feel like doesn't get you anywhere doesn't lead you to anything good or any good change it's always very fear based and guilt based whereas I feel like courage is just like such a powerful feeling and such a powerful emotion and I think we all need a little bit more of courage in our day to day so that was a very lovely message I like that Mm
0: yeah (laughs) yeah Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and taking the time out. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. Um, and everything you had to say. I've learned a lot. I feel good. I love doing these interviews. <laughs> You've been a great guest and a very good sport in <laughs> the spontaneous <laughs> poetry. Um, yeah, thank
2: you. No, thank you. I love this. I think after everything, this is it. This is, I've made it.
1: Oh my lord. All right. Thank you so much, Dave. We loved having you on the show. Don't forget, guys, you can actually find Dave on Instagram at Debbie K. So it's D E V I K. A double Y oh my god spelling this is why I never made it any of the spelling bees <laughs> um and then you can also find voices of colour on Instagram so it's voices underscore of underscore colour and underscore origin underscore for origin oh <laughs> my god this is why i'm not a tv presenter as well jesus um <laughs> all of these details will obviously be in the show notes you can follow us at auntie please on instagram Shire is at our five i am at natasha j llama and we'll see you next week bye bye, bye. <laughs>